Welcome to the Aspieland Podcast. I'm your host, John Allen. Come with me on an adventure into the world of Asperger syndrome, also called autism spectrum disorder. Everyone is welcome here, whether you have the disorder or you're interested in learning more about it. We're here to help you understand, share, and relate. We're just about to get started, so come on in. Greetings, I'm your host, John Allen, and welcome to Aspieland. This is a place where those with Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder and those who are neurotypical can gain commonality through compassion. If you're new to this podcast, let me give you a special welcome, and I want you to know that you're in a place of acceptance. The goal of this podcast is to help us learn about each other so that we can understand each other, and as a result, We can coexist and grow together, creating great relationships in the process. If you have Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder, I want to help you understand life in the neurotypical world. If you're a neurotypical, I want to help you understand life in the world of Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder. And we do that by looking at life through each other's eyes. In this way, we can truly relate with one another. In this episode, I'm going to talk about something that is not discussed much, but is important to understand. It's all about meltdowns, and it has to do with all the stuff that's in our heads as Aspies. It's a look at the mind and how sensory overload can lead to unexpected results. Before we begin, let me remind you that if you would like to comment on the podcast, you can do so when you subscribe on the Aspieland website. The address for the website is aspieland.org. No www, just aspieland.org. If you have questions or you'd just like to say hello, and I'd welcome that as well, you can reach me at aspieland.org at gmail.com. Let me give you that again, aspieland.org at gmail.com. Okay, you may recall that I've mentioned, (laughs) probably more than one occasion, the sensory overload. To quickly review, in a typical day, The human brain is subject to millions of moments of information sent from your five senses. Yet in the neurotypical person, the brain filters out all but the most relevant moments. Let me use this example from episode two. All right, you're sitting in a room during a party. You may hear the music and see people doing things all while having a conversation with someone. If you're neurotypical, that's not a problem, right? Well, consider this. For those of us with Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder, we not only see the things that you see and notice the things that you notice, but we're fully conscious of each conversation in the room. The sound of ice clinking in a glass, the sound of someone opening a can of soda in the next room. We're fully conscious of the sound of the music in the background. Not only may we identify the song, but the artist as well, the title of the song, when it was written, when it came out, how well did it do on the chart? 
Yeah, we can gather up all that. We're also fully conscious of, like, the heat in the room, whether it's hot or cold, and air flowing past us. If someone walks by you real fast, that, that little blow of air, we're conscious of that. The lights in the room, the details of the room, what color are the walls, the windows, the chairs, your tables, your table legs, the chair legs. We even notice the sound of shoes on a bare floor. And if you have food at your party, we're fully aware of the utensils clinking against the plates. We notice people's hands as they talk in the room. We pretty much see everything, even the smallest of details. It's all in the fully conscious mind that must be processed each moment. That's because those of us with AS or ASD lack the sensory filters that neurotypicals have naturally. Now, for those of us with Asperger's Syndrome Autism Spectrum Disorder, this goes on constantly, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day. And this is part of the reason why we have so much trouble communicating. Our conscious mind is sifting through so much stuff. Sometimes it overwhelms us. And when the sensory and subsequent emotional overload becomes more than we can bear, it can cause what is called a meltdown. Now, for those of you who are just like me who have Asperger's Syndrome Autism Spectrum Disorder, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to explain how it happens. I don't have to tell you what you go through. I don't have to tell you where it comes from. You already know. But for the benefit of those of our listeners who are neurotypical, you need to understand that a get-together to you may be, just as Gandalf would say, <laughs> just a merry gathering, can be a smorgasbord of a thousand sights and sounds and sensitivities that for those of us on the spectrum can become a time bomb waiting to go off. You'll notice I mentioned on the spectrum because you have to keep in mind as way of information that this affects everyone on the spectrum, regardless of your function level. If you are high functioning, moderate functioning, or low functioning, it doesn't matter. It affects everyone on the spectrum. Okay, so what is a meltdown? Well, usually a meltdown is the result of a buildup of sensory and emotional information that simply exceeds our ability to cope. Think of it this way. A, a meltdown is sort of like a can of soda. And you take this can of soda in your hand and you shake it and shake, 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 shake it and set it down. Now, sooner or later, that can of soda is going to explode, spewing out everything that is in it. The soda in the can cannot be contained any longer because the pressure must be released. Well, simply put, meltdowns are a spewing out of our emotions caused by the mental pressure of the sensory overload. I call the situations that can cause a meltdown triggers. And remember, everyone is different in that each person may have a different trigger level. Whereas one person may trigger earlier, another may trigger later. 
It all depends upon how much they can tolerate and process in a given amount of time. There are those as well who have certain sensitivities that are immediate triggers. I know of one guy, if he gets his food cold, he immediately starts to melt down. For those of you who are neurotypical, if you know of someone who has Asperger's syndrome autism spectrum disorder and are concerned about meltdowns, you will need to take care to observe and take note of triggers or stressing behaviors a bit while trying to understand it. I was once told of a gathering of kids to a bowling party and dozens of children were enjoying themselves at the bowling alley. <laughs> I don't know about you. I remember being a child trying to bowl and you just grab the ball and you push it down the alley and you hope it doesn't land into the gutter. If you actually got a pin down, you were elated. <laughs> Be that as it may. Here are all these young children at the bowling alley having a great time eating snacks, laughing, and having fun when suddenly a young child, perhaps six years old or so, began to run around screaming. And not just running around by the concession stand or over by where you sit while you're waiting to bowl. This child was running across the alleys. Now, people who were there yelled at the child to stop, but the child didn't. They tried to chase down the child which I just can't imagine what mayhem that would ensue at a bowling alley. Well, anyway, the child was nearly impossible to calm down. What the others in the bowling alley didn't know was that this youngster had a meltdown because the child was on the spectrum, but nobody knew it. Now, I bring this story up to illustrate two points. First, that a meltdown is also a breakdown of controls. The ability to control yourself becomes temporarily lost because the conscious mind becomes overloaded. Second, if someone is having a meltdown, just as in the story of the bowling alley, consolation is usually not possible until the meltdown begins to wane. In this respect, a meltdown very much parallels an epileptic seizure. But in the case of a meltdown, it is a seizure of the mind not the body. Now, it's important to let those who have a meltdown feel their emotions and react to some degree. This is where the cheese gets binding, as they used to say. For the neurotypical, witnessing a meltdown will feel uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. But you need to push through the awkward, difficult, and often distressing event so that the person having the meltdown can feel their emotions. Remember, no one wants to be involved in a meltdown. Not you, and certainly, absolutely, and positively, not a person with autism spectrum disorder. A meltdown will often leave a person feeling embarrassed and ashamed and exhausted from the experience. On the other hand, if you can help the person with the meltdown, perhaps by getting them into a quiet place or a darker room, talking slowly and softly, and letting them feel their emotions, then you can certainly try. However, holding on to someone and telling them to stop crying just to shut things down is not a healthy way to handle emotions in a meltdown. 
Their emotions can be really intense, so it's important to let them vent some of that off. Now, I've mentioned this before, and it bears repeating. The rules concerning meltdowns are much like the rules for other symptoms of Asperger's syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. They're not a rigid, hard and fast set of symptoms and reactions. Meltdowns in particular do not come from the same set of triggers every time, nor will the level of sensitivity to the trigger, whatever it may be at the time, be the same. And this is one of the things that make it difficult to fully understand all the aspects of Asperger's syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. Every person on the spectrum reacts differently. There's also the differences that occur because of the age of the person on the spectrum. In the case of meltdowns, for example, a young child on the spectrum may have little or no ability to sense the trigger coming. They can react to a meltdown with much more intensity simply because they're not old enough to have a grip on their emotions yet or have the cognitive ability yet to figure out why it might be happening. As those of us who have Asperger's syndrome and autism spectrum disorder get older, it can become easier to sense the triggers as they're occurring. This makes it possible to actually prevent the meltdown from happening or at least decrease its intensity. That does not mean that we no longer have meltdowns. Oh no, I myself have had quite a few. We can simply have a better handle on the trigger as it approaches, and that creates an opportunity to find our way out of the meltdown. You may recall in our interview with Dylan in our last podcast, he mentions how he walks away from a potential meltdown by getting away from the trigger. The same is true in adults on the spectrum. Now I'm going to devote our next podcast to discovering how to sense our triggers and ways to prevent meltdowns from happening in the first place. So take note of that. All right, so what do you do for a meltdown? For those of us with Asperger's syndrome and autism spectrum disorder, we pretty much have no choices. Once the meltdown has begun, there's no turning back. If you're an adult with AS or ASD and you can sense it starting up, try to get into a place where the impact is kept to a minimum. If you're neurotypical, first of all, it largely depends on whether the one having the meltdown is an adult or a child. Now, in the case of a child, there are several things you should not do. Number one, do not yell at them to stop. Yelling only creates more sensory overload. Two, do not run after the child. First of all, you'll run out of gas before they will. And second of all, you may scare the child who is already out of control to begin with. Remember that during a meltdown, the child is more frightened than you are. Keep in mind, however, that safety can be a factor here. If the child is putting themselves or others in harm's way, you may want to act so that no one is injured. Third, do not hold the child in an attempt to calm them down. This can cause them to fight harder because they're trying to get away from the meltdown. And fourth, do not simply tell them to stop crying or yelling or running for that matter. 
chances are the child's not going to hear you anyway because their mind is reacting, not reasoning. Remember that much of the meltdown is an emotional reaction to the sensory overload. The emotions need to be released. In the case of an adult, much of the don'ts that I mentioned before apply, except you must remember that an adult is bigger and stronger than a child, and as a result, may be more difficult to guide into a calmer state. Most meltdowns are a case of yelling and flailing and ranting and raving, but there are those that can become physically violent, and you must be careful not to engage in a violent episode. If you're close to the person who is having the meltdown, that could work out as an advantage because that person would more readily trust you and be willing to listen to you as the meltdown begins to settle. Once the meltdown is over, we usually are feeling pretty bad about the incident. So pointing or wagging your finger in disgust or chastising us for the behavior is not appropriate. Try always to put yourself into our position. Try to show empathy and concern. Not have a reaction because you particularly have been embarrassed by the incident. Given time, you may have an opportunity to talk to them about it. But right afterwards is not the time. Those of us with Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder need a little tender loving care. So give us some TLC. I hope that I have given you some insight regarding meltdowns in those of us who have Asperger's syndrome autism spectrum disorder. Meltdowns are not regular occurrences. They are rare occurrences. So I'm hoping that you never have to witness or be involved with one. But now that you know more about them, you may be more understanding of those of us on the spectrum and some of the things that we face every day. I'm sorry to say, but our time is running out. Remember that on our next podcast, we'll visit the subject again, except next time we'll talk about the ways to find triggers and the ways to prevent triggers from turning into a meltdown. For those of you who have autism spectrum disorder or Asperger's syndrome, this may be particularly helpful for you. So be sure to join me for that. Remember to please visit the Aspieland website. Just go to aspieland.org, don't use the www, and there you can subscribe to Aspieland. It'll put you on the mailing list. I won't sell you anything. I'll just send you a note to let you know when my next podcast is up and running. I would also ask that you would please donate to the work here for both the website and the podcast so that I can keep our visits going. Please stay safe, and so long for now, We'll visit again next time in Aspieland. Thanks for listening to the Aspieland podcast. If you like this podcast, pass the word. This podcast is for everyone, whether you have Asperger's syndrome or not, because the more who listen, the better our opportunity to become more sensitive and compassionate, not only to those who have the disorder, but to all humankind as well. Thanks for visiting, and I hope you'll listen again.